listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are so excited to introduce a very special guest, Ben Stasny who is about to graduate with a master's degree in theater and performance studies um, here at CU Boulder and move swiftly into the PhD program as well. Ben enjoys acting, directing, and creating theater of all sorts. In April, Bev is directing an original operetta titled, titled The Fall of Man, written by a PhD student in the music program here. And apart from that project, Ben is working on a thesis about performance that looks at queer climate futurity. Ben, welcome to Beckett's Babies. Welcome. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show. Um, since this podcast is called Beckett's Babies, we like to start every interview with a question about your earliest memory so what is the first thing you remember from when you were a very little person? Mm. Any memory or any like... Your is, earliest memory. Earliest. My earliest memory? Yeah. Before you ever heard about theater. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there was a blinding light and some strange man was... Okay. No, no, no. Not that <laughs> That's too early. Something um, you actually remember, Ben. I rem- you don't know. I remember that. <laughs> I remember it very clearly. Um, <laughs> okay. I remember when I was little. I don't remember how old, but I was little. And it was really rainy. And when it rains in Minnesota, I mean, I think everywhere, but particularly in Minnesota, like all the worms come out of the ground Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) my brother and I were little like very little and we were playing in the rain and um we would go down to the gutter where the water was running down and we would like slurp up the water from the gutter (laughs) hold it in our mouths run up the driveway to where my parents were filming on their like old 90s VHS uh, video camera and squirt the water from our mouths on all over them and (laughs) I remember I went down one time and I slurped up a bunch of water from the gutter and a worm was definitely in my mouth from the water and I just remember being so grossed out by it but it was so funny oh geez that's yeah you didn't know it was going there did you (laughs) wait how old were you again did you say I think I must have been like three or four I feel like the fact that your parents were not saying don't drink the gutter water, but instead (laughs) filming you, that is what turned you into a performer for life. Yeah, it was very much the improvisational, yes, and yes, drink the water and throw the water up on. This will make a great home video. Yeah, well, and, you know, it was a different type of parenting in the 90s that you (laughs) drink water from the street. (laughs) wow okay so from that um colorful beginning Hmm. how did you how did you get into a life of theater um so I was horrible at sports and I didn't want to participate in like the community summer soccer leagues that my 
brother was like really into um because he's the sports kid in the family and so my parents were like well we got to get ben doing something so they enrolled me in this like summer theater arts camp and it was sort of you know all arts encompassing and so we would like make drawings and pictures and play with art supplies but then we would do it sort of in the hopes that we would culminate in like a public performance and so i remember like showing up at the community center and it was me and a bunch of kids and we would do this thing and we would kind of do art during the day but then we would like try to make like a show and i could tell that the in you know the camp counselors or whatever they were were really struggling to get us all on the same page (laughs) and so it came the time like the day of the performance and I like rallied everyone together and said we have to put on a show and like basically just led them around the gymnasium I think I was playing like a detective so I had a big magnifying glass we were like (laughs) uncover some secret but I think all it was was just us walking in a circle of this community gymnasium for an hour and afterward my mom said that the camp counselor one of them came up to her and said if ben wasn't part of this we would not have had a show to show you (laughs) wow um, that was i think really the big beginning of me realizing not only do i love art and theater but i'm also incredibly bossy and controlling (laughs) and manipulative of people (laughs) what a great director (laughs) and and so and then you did a lot of acting in high school right can you talk about that i um kind of got big into acting through um our local community theater rosetown playhouse and the woman who helped run it margo olson was also my middle school drama teacher and orchestra teacher and she was just a staple in our community she just was so good at getting people together to make art and loved making theater. And she had four boys of her own that were heavily involved in the arts. So it was just a big artistic family. And so I auditioned for um, one of their original shows, I think just before I started middle school. And so I went, but they held the auditions in the middle school. And so I went there and I just remember walking into the theater and going, oh my God, this is so cool. It's huge. Mm. And I think I had only been to a couple shows before. I think my parents brought me to the Ordway for a production of The King and I when I was little, but I don't remember it super well. Um, But they were good about that. My parents, you know, they were like, Ben's really interested in this, so we're going to support him. And so I went there for the audition and I got cast in like as a, you know, a paper boy in this Aww, 19th ensemble cute. production. Yeah. And um, so that really kicked it off. And I did a lot more shows with Rosetown throughout middle school and high school. Um, middle school. Well, I should say that the reason I did so much theater is because so much theater was available for us to do. Mm. We had really prolific mm. middle school and high school departments. And I know it's always weird when people like, wax philosophic about their middle school and high school experiences but honestly it was so prolific we Mm. just had people in charge of these departments who loved the craft of theater and just loved putting stuff up and so margot ran the middle school and we did six shows per year and we had an improv group that met 
Um, and then when I got into high school, Michael Sheeks, um, who was another pretty big staple in our community, um, was the director of the theater program there. And he just was like, let's do everything and anything. And so we did six main stage shows a year in high school. And we put wow. up a one-act play festival at the beginning of the year and in the winter. And we went to the Thespian Festival and competed there. And we had the improv troupe and we had just all this really cool, interesting stuff. That's amazing. I mean, what a gift. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was unusual, I think, because we didn't have money, but we had a whole lot of ambition. Mm. And I think the stars just sort of aligned in those, in the years between like 2006 to 2011, you know, where mm. people, not only did we have people running the programs that were so interesting and cool and offbeat, but we had the students like myself and my colleagues and my friends, colleagues, no one calls high school friends, colleagues, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but we just we loved being on stage we loved playing with each other and and you know living in roseville minnesota we were just a couple miles from some really cool interesting theater happening in minneapolis and st paul too yeah and then okay so you're an actor through high school and mm -hmm. college when did you start really thinking of yourself as a director too mm. directing has been a recent Is it, that's a new thing for you yeah. I. How did you um, get into it? Well, because I guess the only time I had a whole lot of directing experience was in college. I directed a short little studio piece. Um, and then after I graduated, I did a couple summers in La Crosse, Wisconsin for the La Crosse Community Theater, and I helped run their summer program. Mm. And so that was really the first time I felt, oh, I'm kind of an authority figure, but I'm all in the name of making art and making plays. And that was really exciting to me um, because I knew it could go one of two ways. I knew I could either be the actor turned director that everyone was like, oh my God, well, <laughs> I can't make it as an actor. So now Ben's a director. Let's see how this goes. Or I could acknowledge the fact that I actually think the best directors start off as actors. Mm -hmm. And I say that because in my experience, directors can really either be super supportive of you as an actor and go, please come with something new, do new things, try this out. I trust you to do your job or they can be incredibly stifling. And I knew I didn't want to be that. So mm -hmm. I thought I'll take what I know to be true as an actor, which is saying yes and moving through art and theater in an improvisational way and try to yeah. be a better director from that point of view. Mm. Um, yeah, and so I guess I didn't really get my first big directing, you know, um, experience until I did Climate Cabaret last fall at CU. Yeah. Do you want to just say a sentence or two about that show? Oh, just to sum it up in a sentence or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was, it was a really eye-opening experience for me in how I move through life as a 
typically non-confrontational person. And so having to balance being an authority with being someone who just loves the theater and the process of rehearsal and the process of building a show, those were not always in opposition to each other, but they were definitely something I had to balance. Mm. Yeah. And I just mean like for people who didn't have a chance to see it, this is a Mm. really ambitious project. It's um, taking the, some of the plays from Chantal Bilodeau's um, climate change plays that she commissioned from Mm. around the world and um, was really kind of a spectacle of a show. Mm. Yeah, well, you're right. And it was, it was, so it was, how many plays? 18 plays that we did. Half were produced and given to us through Climate Change Theater Action, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those were free and those were written by playwrights from around the world. And then the other half came from my advisor or both of our advisor, um, Beth Osnes, who over the years through different community programs and artistic projects has kind of created a cache of short skits, plays, and songs about climate change that she plugged in. And so I remember meeting with her last summer uh, to kind of figure out the order of these shows. And we came up with it. And um, But you're right, it, it was something that I knew could either be a more stripped down Brechtian Mm. let's Mm. see the workings of this sort of cabaret you know let's go from scene to scene and make it clear that it's you know a collection of plays or it could be more beautiful and spectacly and traditional theatery and that's what I wanted I wanted Mm -hmm. to show that climate change can still be interesting for people to watch and and I thought the spectacle really revealed itself nicely. Yeah. So I want to learn more about your thesis. Okay. <laughs> um, like Sam introduced you, is, is that you're working on a thesis about performance looks at queer climate futurity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. In my brain, I was like trying to, these three things like, or mm-hmm. these three queer climate futurity trying to split in my brain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love to learn uh, more about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm definitely in the middle of it right now. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm constantly learning new things. So I can only speak to what I've discovered through this process. And Mm -hmm. I'm by no means an authority on any of this. But I do think that I'm kind of stumbling on some really interesting discoveries. So let me first start with a quote by Um, Theresa May and Wendy Ahrens, who are uh, performance and climate scholars, and they say, ecology and performance do not readily or easily share space with each other. And Mm -hmm. I find that to be really fascinating because they're laying out right away that these are disparate subjects, and yet somehow they are finding their way toward each other. So what has inspired me for my thesis is uh, I directed a show within Climate Cabaret, because remember, they were 18 short plays and songs. And I directed one singular piece called Mentoring Session Number Four. 
And this was brought to us by Climate Change Theater Action, and the playwright who wrote it is Pearson Toscano. And basically, it is a two-person scene with two queer identifying people, one named Elder, one named Younger, and they're in their fourth mentoring session set up by a local community center. And it takes place in the year 2110, after a major climate event has occurred, which has sort of forced the nation and the world to adopt clean energy standards. Mm -hmm. And and because they are queer identifying, they start getting into discussing the etymology of the word faggot. And in this play that Peterson wrote, faggot is no longer a cursler or derogatory attack against queer people. It actually, he repurposes it to mean someone who doesn't burn or someone who burns fossil fuels in this clean <laughs> energy future. And he gets there by way of younger asking elder, well, what does this word mean? I've never heard this word before. And elder's like, oh, well, let me tell you about this word. And so it goes all the way back to when it used to be a word to talk about women who were believed to be witches. And, you know, the thing we all know, which is a bundle of sticks in, in British uh, slang and lexicon. And so it kind of goes through this up until um, and then it pauses on it being a slur against, in Peterson's words, same gending queers. <laughs> and so as Peterson also does this brilliant sort of imaginative work with his dialogue where he comes up with new words throughout the whole thing. He, use, he uses the word phobe, um, probably to mean homophobe, you know. He uses mm -hmm. same gending queers. It's really fun and, and, and imaginative and so he weaves in this destructive word against gay people and actually takes the power takes the destructive power away from the word and weaves it back into this new hopeful future for queer people and for um a hopeful future on climate change and our environment and so i, I just was so inspired by how he did that because it was so effortless and it's not like he uses the word once. The word is used 18 times in a five-minute play. You know, this is no small task. Mm -hmm. And yet, it you by the end, the audience has bought into this new future that Peterson lays out. So, you know, here I am directing this with two queer identifying actors, and I'm telling them how I'm coming to the show, which is as someone who has benefited a lot from queer mentorship in my life. Yeah. I had um, three really important queer mentors to me. And I find myself now in a position where not only am I an authority figure in terms of, of a director and a graduate student, but I'm also now a, a queer mentor for them. They are the mentees. I'm no longer the mentee. And I was really in, I was really determined to interrogate what sort of aspects of queer mentorship, i.e. safe space, building trust, building really safe lines of communication, talking about really important uh, personal issues in a, you know, an environment that is trusting and honest, and how I can take those aspects of queer mentorship and apply them to this mission I have to build optimistic climate futures 
using queer mentoring tactics, all in the realm of performance. And if you're a little lost, so am I. <laughs> but but these things that did not readily share space together, as May and Aaron's wrote, still produced a product that was exciting, new, imaginative, queer-centric, climate-centric. Mm -hmm. And it was all done in the theater. So these identities of myself that mean a lot to me being queer, being a concerned climate activist, and being someone who is devoted to the craft of theater, I just thought, oh my God, I have to figure out why this is working together. And so that's what I'm doing in my thesis. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It's it's cool, but it's, it's hard work. Um, Beth, my advisor, just will randomly land these nuggets of <laughs> wisdom and knowledge on me that she, I don't even know if she realizes she's doing it, but it like embeds itself in my brain like a parasite. <laughs> and she said to me, I was lamenting over writing my thesis and she said, well, you are bumping up against the limits of your knowledge. Mm. And I just thought that was so profoundly accurate to what I have been experiencing with this. Can you talk a little bit about um, other kinds of work that you're really excited about right now or other mm. writers um, or performers that are you're, maybe you're incorporating into your thesis or you're just like excited about yeah. at this moment? So I guess my um, my thesis is really oriented around Jose Munoz, who mm -hmm. wrote a book called Cruising Utopia. And he, I first came to the term queer futurity through this book. Mm. And basically what he describes is that queer is, yes, it, it is an identity, but it's also a state of being. It's an action. It's a verb. And so to be queer means to be constantly striving toward a future that is not yet here, a future that holds the promise of optimism and equality, but that is in a constant state of being fought toward. And that mm. to me feels so accurate because you can look back at important queer moments throughout history um, and, and go, okay, it wasn't perfect, but it was really ambitious and it was really energized and I, I also couple that with sort of current our current state of like social life where where daring to say things that might be considered unpopular or even a little um sensitive mm. shouldn't get you canceled from the conversation but it, it should be able to still propel you forward. Mm. And I think that's some of what maybe I, I romanticize in my head about the queer liberation movement from like the 70s, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's kind of a tangent. So Jose Munoz, I would say, is an author I'm reading right now, a theorist I'm reading that I'm really jazzed about. Cool. Um, and then I, I would kind of point to the work that Chantal Bilodeau is doing with Climate Change Theater Action, which is writing or, or assembling plays about climate change that 
yes, they're about climate change, but they're about a lot of other things. And, and that's what I felt with mentoring session number four was that, yeah, it was about climate change, but really by way of queerness and, Mm -hmm. and that, that finding an interdisciplinary middle ground is, I think just a really exciting space to occupy right now. Um, but you know, I I also, I like, I look at comedians. I love comedians. Um, I, I also love gay comedians because I don't think you see them all the time. And I have a sort of a, um, an acquaintance. I did a show with him years ago, but he's doing some comedy out in New York city right now. And I'm listening to his stuff and it's hilarious, but it's, (laughs) And it's it's self-deprecating in like a fun gay way, but like not in a way that makes you go, oh, this is a little uncomfortable to listen to. But I, I just think there's so much space for moving forward and talking about hard things that doesn't need to be done through like depressing art. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, like, I yeah. love to infuse comedy in, in this work. And another thing that drew me to mentoring session number four was that it was funny. Um, it wasn't sad. It wasn't people using the word faggot as a harm. And I think whenever you encounter that word in pop culture and in theater, it's used derogatorily. Is that the word? Derog- is mm-hmm. that a word? Yep. Um, but it's used in that way. And it's always violent. And, and it's a harm against queer people. And... Um, to experience it in a different light um, was really interesting. And then there's one more. Okay, so then there's one more. <laughs> um, on that sort of line of thought about that word, mm. um, my friend Johnny Valour, who is partner to Sasha Valour, um, a drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race, I did Disney with Johnny. And Johnny is someone I write about in my thesis and he is a really important queer artist in my eyes. And he kind of helped me really sink my teeth into my queer identity. But he, ever since I've known him has been really determined to take back control of the word faggot. And he Mm. does that through helping with Sasha's, performance and art and they and I know Johnny helped produce a major show out um off Broadway which was all about queer people and queer representation and I just know that that word is constantly in his mind about how he's going to use it to advance queer equality and kind of rub against the mainstream of queer ideology and queer thought he's just very avant-garde very exciting and one of my truly favorite people Oh, that's so cool. Hmm. Wait, who is the, I don't know if you said the name, who's the, the comedian? Oh, um, the comedian is Cody Hernandez. And Cody he Hernandez. he's just starting out. So you mm-hmm. probably wouldn't find him on YouTube. But I but he posts, um, he did a couple, I think, stand up. Cool. Uh, open mic nights and he posts on his Instagram and he's really funny. I really love it. (laughs) And I have never told him that. So if he happens to listen to this podcast, um, (laughs) Cody, I'm a big fan of your comedy. (laughs) Well, you're putting him on the map, right? Yeah. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. That's awesome. Okay. I learned a lot. 
I learned a lot. <laughs> I ramble. I ramble. So, <laughs> uh, no, I just really admire that you're um, just like thinking so deeply, and I just, I just love it. Uh, Sam, you could learn a thing or two. I know from Ben. Yes, I will be, be a student at Ben's feet. Well, I've been telling you, you could learn things from me since we met. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think something. You know, I, I probably would not have been able to predict three or four years ago that I'd be in grad school writing about queerness and climate change as it relates to theater. Um, and yet. I'm reminded that through this grad school journey that as much as I love acting, as much as I love directing and making theater, mm. I also love to think deeply about issues that are important to me. Um, yeah. One of my close friends and mentors, um, Sam Tanner, is uh, he was my high school teacher. And I would go into his classroom an hour before school, almost every morning of my four years of high school. And we would sit and drink coffee and just talk. Mm. And those talks were so useful to me so that when I left high school and moved into college, I, I was really well equipped to seriously and critically analyze the things that were giving me anxiety or things I didn't quite understand. But then as I moved through undergrad and into the professional world, I recognized that I really missed that sort of, that sort of space to just be able to think openly and critically and honestly about things. And yeah, I have great friends that I talk to, but to kind of be held to a standard of, no, you need to think about this mm through academia, through writing, through producing theater, like that's important. And that holds me to that just sort of demands sort of an attention on my part. And I think that's really critical. Yeah, I really relate to that. I feel like that was the thing I that propelled me back to school multiple yeah. times is like wanting wanting that kind of rigorous conversation and thinking. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, okay. So now that you are starting to move into a into a mentor capacity with some of mm. your um, students and actors, what advice would you give to theater artists who might be listening to this podcast who are just starting out, um, maybe on their journey into theater? What would you tell those people about how to get started or what to focus on? Mm. That's hard, Sam. <laughs> we ask the tough questions. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's the tough questions. <laughs> CNN could learn a thing or two from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Well, there's two ways I could see going about this, answering this question, and one is a more hardened and direct way, which is theater is hard, and mm. I do not believe that every person needs to be on stage. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I don't think it's for I everybody. completely disagree, but that's okay. You're the <laughs> guest. Well, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to start off hard and then I'm going to get stopped. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that everyone needs to be on stage. I think it's a really rigorous art form 
And you can only do it if you really committed to it. And if you're really passionate about it, because when I would get so frustrated in undergrad and even in the real world, when I would see people sort of mediocrely, mediocre, I'm, I can't do words today, but, <laughs> um, but I, I would get very frustrated when I would see people succeed when they didn't really care Mm. They either knew somebody or they were mediocre enough to just get cast or whoever knows. And that is really the case. Uh, I saw it in New York at auditions and I would get so frustrated when certain cast lists would come out that I auditioned for. And I would go, are you kidding me? This person got this role over me. <laughs> um, and so that frustrates me. Uh, and, you know, again, it could be that they are more talented than me. And I have a very rose colored view of how I am as an actor, though, you know, that could be, but, but so anyway, yes, it's difficult. It's tough. Please. If you're going to go into theater, make sure you have the stamina and the commitment to it and the mm -hmm. respect that it deserves. Um, yeah. But from a more compassionate point of view, storytelling and theater is what our species has been doing for thousands of years. Mm. Everybody can tell a story. Everybody can captivate an audience, whether it's an audience of 500 or it's two people at a coffee shop. And to me, that needs to be really invested in through school, through after school programs, through community theater, because that's how I got started. Um, I, I genuinely believe everybody has a story to tell. And so by creating space in the theater for those people to tell their stories is not only crucial for good theater and good community, um, good community performance, but also for talking about climate change because yeah. it, it really affects us differently and if you can get on stage and tell a story about how something some really specific aspect of climate change affected you that might break through to somebody in the audience who might be a climate skeptic or who might not really care or who says they care but then walks by a mask that's on the ground and doesn't do anything to pick it up or throw it in the mm. trash and and i think storytelling is a way to reach those people that's great. I, I love that you um, came around to saying everyone has a story to tell. <laughs> I'm not. People are going to listen and go, oh my God, what a dick. No, they are not. <laughs> I just I just care about it. You know, I care about you it. You want people to bring their, I mean, it sounds like part of what you're saying in the first part of that is like, it. there are going to be difficult parts mm. of a life in the theater when you see people who seem not to be bringing their all to it. Yeah. kind of um, getting opportunities yeah. that you don't get. That is, I think, one of the hardest things about mm. being in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I've just, I've just known people to really not put all their energy into it and to still be rewarded. Mm -hmm. That yeah. drives me crazy. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> um oh gosh i as you were saying i had like so many thoughts i wanted to jump in and say but now i'm 
forgetting them, but I'll just say, I'll echo what you're saying is that um, I'll say that theater, I feel like is the one place where there's an opportunity to just wear all the different kinds of hats and try different things and, mm. and experience, um, have different experiences with theater that I just, that I just feel like, so people don't allow themselves to do that sometimes. And just like, I'm just going to stick with this one thing and one thing only. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's a lot of, overlap and there's a lot of opportunities to bridge different ways yeah. of getting into theater and thinking about theater differently um yeah so yeah i i like snapped my fingers everything you just said so <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you i mean yeah you're so right it is a if you think you know i think that's what sort of liberated me by going to grad school was i only ever viewed myself as an actor and I thought, well, maybe someday I'll get into education, but I don't want to be the failed actor who then goes to school to teach acting. <laughs> like, I don't need I don't need that to be the thing that defines me, you know? Yeah. But now being here, I see the really the various ways I can interact with theater. And I think I've done that. You know, one area I haven't gotten into yet is any sort of tech. Mm. I guess I've done you know I, I guess I did conceptualize climate cabaret and thought critically about what we can you know feasibly do with this mm -hmm. show but I think like I worked at a theater in New Hampshire and the artistic director who is a lovely man is also the, the lighting designer oh, and it cool. works out really well because he is a really great director, a wonderful choreographer, but then he knows how to stage things because he knows exactly how he's going to light the show. So tech rehearsal, I mean, the tech week there is really only like three days and it's not, they're not 12 hour days either because he has, if you are standing where he told you to stand, you're going to be in your light because he's the one lighting the stage. That's so and great. Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool, you know, it, it, it works for that theater and it works for him. And I think that's pretty interesting. So Ben, before we move on to Glistens, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find my incredibly exciting social media presence on <laughs> Instagram. Um, I made the move over winter break to morph my Instagram less from personal updates more to professional so I am slowly adding things although I haven't been on social media for the month of February I mean aside from here and there but <laughs> um so Instagram snackfish Benji give me a follow for some exciting <laughs> social media and then I yes I am on Twitter but don't follow me on Twitter I, okay. <laughs> I don't do anything exciting on Twitter I'm a voyeur Funny. on Twitter and that's, I guess I made a TikTok video, but I just, <laughs> I, bad. I just am bad about social media because I, I think I got burnt out from it over the years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I joined Facebook in 2007 and mm. those were the years where we just, social media was exciting, but it wasn't what we did all day, every day. It was kind right. of. Right. We go after school and log on for a little bit, and then we log off. Like, it wasn't really that exciting. Yeah. For several years, I I think. I mean, until I got out of high school, I just wasn't that on Facebook. But then when 2017 rolled around, I was like, 
I have been on Facebook for a decade. That's insane. I deleted it. I completely deleted it and went without it for a few months and then got it again because I like had just moved to New York and needed to network and it's a decent place for networking. But then I deleted it again this past fall and I don't think I'm ever going to go back to Facebook. Um, So I just, I don't know. I think I've gotten burnt out from social media a little bit over the years. Well, we will definitely link out your yes, please Instagram so yes. everyone can keep an eye on what you're up to. Please do. All right. So let's move into Glisten. So this is the part of our show where we share something from the week that caught our attention, maybe a headline or mm. a show or a, I don't know, book that you read. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sarah, do you want to go first? Don't mind if I do. Um, so <laughs> I've been, I've been like looking for things that that I'm. I've been thinking a lot about like the idea of work lately and mm. what it means, and then that's just something I feel like I'm always constantly thinking about because it's like my life just working. Um, but I found this new show on Apple TV called Severance. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's on Apple TV. It's directed by Ben Stiller. And the concept of the show is that uh, this major, this big corporation, you don't really know what the company does, but the idea is that employees, they put their, they put a chip in your head where you separate your life, work <gasps> oh, life and home this. life. It's really, I love it so far. It's only three episodes in, but I really love it so far. It's really creepy and weird, but also kind of funny because it's Ben Stiller and yeah. you got some really funny comedic actors on the show. Um, but yeah, it's this idea that your work life self don't know the life outside of work. It's just Whoa. work. And, wow. then, and then when that person goes home, leaves work, they don't know anything that happened at work. So the two lives are completely oh separated. That is so interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I forgot his name. That's the main actor. But um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's kind of a thriller right now because I think it's a thriller because there's this one employee that just kind of disappeared. He mm. basically was able to break out of it. And is like having some, so the mystery is like, what happens to your mind if you leave and like, what's he doing and how I'm trying to reach people back. And it's, it's so creepy and weird, bizarre and like heightened world. But then also at the same time, uh, it's just very relatable because there's always a day that I'm like, I don't want to think about work when I'm home, you know, right, right, but what right. does that mean? Like, what does that mean? So, um, yeah, this, that's what the show is about. Oh, jeez, ah, Cool. Well, my glisten is, and by the time this episode drops, it might feel a little outdated, but I really don't want it to mm. get glossed over because I'm so excited about Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, mm. who's yeah. Biden's yes. nominee for the Supreme Court. Um, she Here's a little bit of trivia. Mm. When she <laughs> was an undergrad at yeah. Harvard, she was paired in an acting class in a scene with Matt Damon. Um, what? Oh, yes. What? Yes, true oh. story. Um, <laughs> so, what so a random... I think she took acting to like improve her public speaking skills or something. But oh yeah. my god! I know. Sam, well, like, how is... long were you online? Like, how long were you online? Finding I saw this, this on the PBS NewsHour when okay. they did a little segment about her. Um, so I know this is verified by a legit news source. I do. I do love that though. I love the 
weird relationships that you kind of hear about I know, in, I know. in politics. Like, I just know so many people from high school that I think are going to either be in public office and or mm. do some interesting things. And like to be able to go, oh, yeah, I know that person. Like, that's really I don't know. That's fun. But it's just so exciting and historic that we're going to finally have a black woman yes, on the Supreme Court. And um, she just seems amazing. Yeah. What's your glisten, Ben? My glisten. So I have been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race because tis the season. And there's two <laughs> two different series happening right now. So there's the standard RuPaul's Drag Race, which is season 14. And then there's um, UK versus the world, which is basically like past queens competing and it's on like the uk's turf like the bbc is promoting it so i guess that's why it's called uk versus the world but anyway two really momentous things happened in like the last week's episodes on both of them so um i hope i'm not ruining it for any listeners if you it's fine but here's a spoiler so (laughs) four queens so I guess I should say three queens since the, because it's filmed so far in advance. Um, there was a trans queen, trans woman queen who started the se- season and then three have since come out as trans. And it's incredible because only a couple years ago, there was like a big to do about mm. a trans woman competing on drag race. Mm. And they're like, what do we do? Like, can it, can this be allowed? And now it's like, it would be weird if there weren't mm. a treatment on on every season moving forward. But the fact that this season has four is just like really beautiful and powerful and just shows you how quickly I think our culture is changing. And even though we get these horrendously evil bills put forward by like Greg Abbott in Texas and all these like the Florida don't say yeah. gay. Like, yes, there's horrible things happening, but our culture is moving very quickly. And I think more than ever before pop culture is um really leading on social issues like you know recognizing trans people rights and i just think like that's really important mm. ben from your mouth to god's ears is mm. that the saying it is the saying it's from ben's, from ben's mouth to god's ears i've never heard of that saying <laughs> I, I'm going to have it uh, printed out and put in the grad office with a of my face staring straight at everybody. Great. Yeah. I, I look forward okay. to seeing that. Get ready for that, Sam. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us on Beckett's Baby. That's all? That's all the time yes, we have? That's all the time we have. Yeah. But you heard this it here first, funny. folks. If you want more Ben Stasny, go to Snackfish Benji on oh. Instagram. Yes. Yes, please do. Oh, this has been fun. I want to oh, come back. So yes, will, please come back. Yeah, we'll totally have you back. Oh. Once you're a PhD student. Yes, yes. Once I have something to show for it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it'll be really interesting to see just the progress of your thesis. and yeah. yeah. Well, if it if it moves forward, fine. I'll Hopefully, it'll get published somewhere. And then mm. the next time I'm on, I can say, go read this journal. Oh, that would be cool. That'd be awesome. We shall see. All right. Thank you, Ben. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.